Well, next Sunday is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, we always commemorate the uh, Roe v. Wade decision on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. That would be 48 years, January 22nd, 1973. And uh, you know it's important for us around here to speak to life, and we usually back up and do it the week before Sanctity of Life Sunday so that those of you who've never considered before how you might be a part can plan to be a part with us next week in the March for Life. That will happen at 2 o'clock. We march from behind the state capitol to the front steps. Uh, obviously, even during COVID, it's outside. It's very easy to, uh, to distance, so there's no real threat there. The March for Life is very peaceful. Uh, protest, if you will, but also says to our state lawmakers, we are still here. We're still asking you to defend life. There are some, some good movements happening in our state right now, moving toward actually abolishing abortion in the state of Arkansas, regardless of whether Roe v. Wade is ever overturned. And I'm excited about that and be sharing more about that in the days ahead. As you came in this morning, you received uh, a little flyer that says Ministries for Life. And that is just to let you know, none of these ministries could be here today because of COVID issues, but to let you know that these are the different ministry partners um, that we have and that we would encourage you, if you're looking for a way to get more involved, encourage you to contact any of those. This morning, we do have one of our partners here, Abolish Abortion Arkansas is here. As you exit this morning, just to the left, you'll see a, a table set up. If you want to know more about what is being done and how you can be a part of that, you can stop by. They have some information that you can, uh, can pick up. But we are a strongly pro-life body, and we're going to continue to do everything we can to speak the truth about life. And I'm excited this morning uh, as we celebrate the sanctity of life and commemorate um, where we are as a nation and what we can do. I'm excited to have a special guest with us this morning. Chet Gallagher is here with us. Chet, you can go ahead and begin to make your way up. Uh, Chet. I met just a few months ago at a, uh, a pro-life meeting right here in our church. The minute I heard Chet speak, I could tell the Lord was all over him. Uh, my spirit just bore witness with his spirit, and as soon as he was done, as soon as that meeting was over, I asked Chet, hey, are you available January 10th next year? Uh, because I really wanted him to be here. Chet was a uh, Las Vegas, Nevada police officer. In 1989, he made the decision to join a, an Operation Rescue protest. And as a result of him as a police officer joining that protest, God gave him the opportunity to uh, lay down his career as a police officer and to begin his career of rescuing children. Uh, Chet will not talk to us about civil disobedience because he's a man of the word. He will talk to us about biblical obedience. Uh, Chet and his wife, Joanne, have a phenomenal ministry. He's a pastor evangelist, obviously a pro-life activist. Joanne works with women uh, prior to abortion or even post-abortive women, and they just have an incredible uh, ministry in this area. He's the assistant director of Operation Save America. He's the director of Just Show Up Ministry. Now, Chet, this week, even though I already knew you and knew about you, I just, for fun, Googled Chet Gallagher online. And there are a lot of articles going all the way back to 1989, and I loved these words describing you. Nefarious fanatical, extremist, and zealot. That's why you're here this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give a guy strings welcome to the man who's been called the greatest friend of the preborn, Chet Gallagher. Yeah. Ah, extremist, 
I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I can be extreme in any way, I want to be extreme in that way. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's the purpose of being here today is to give him glory. And I was a police officer in Las Vegas. There was a story. Police officer out there with his radar gun. All of a sudden, the car comes speeding by 95 miles an hour in the 60-mile-per-hour zone. Stopped the car. Walked up to the car, as I'm walking up to the car to make contact with the rather elderly female driver, noticed in the back seat that the passengers were just shaking violently, trembling. Said, ma'am, you are speeding. Not just speeding, you're doing 35 miles per hour over the posted speed limit. It's only 60 miles per hour here. You're driving 95 miles an hour. He said, officer, I have never been speeding in my life. I admit I haven't been driving long, but I always drive the speed limit, only the speed limit, not under the speed limit, not over the speed limit. And I can prove it to you right now. Well, that's interesting. How how would you like to do that? There's the sign. 95. Well, ma'am, that's the highway sign. That's not the speed limit sign. But I have to ask you a question. What is the problem with your passengers trembling and shaking in the back seat? She kind of bowed her head and said, well, they'll be okay. I just came off of Highway 120. (laughs) And thank you for laughing at my joke. Signs are important. Seeing signs are important. A lot of signs today. Seeing signs are very important. Reading the signs that you see, very important. But not if the context is wrong. Not if you don't know how to read the sign and and what they mean. So I'm going to talk to you about how the gracious Spirit of God didn't let me off the hook as I went through a process of making a decision. Because there are several signs along the way that I could have interpreted one way or another. And that happens to all of us a lot. But before I begin, let me say this. I so appreciated that worship song, Pastor Dave. To find a place of healing. To find a place of freedom. Because we're talking about abortion today, no doubt there's some here that are what we would call post-abortive. Either you had an abortion, you helped someone have an abortion. Been involved some way. And maybe the Lord's dealt with you, and maybe that is still holding you hostage. But the one thing that we're here today for, even in sharing this testimony, is that if that's the place that that you're in, that this morning you'll find a place of healing, a place of freedom. Because abortion, the shedding of innocent blood, is an abomination before a holy God. It's a very serious sin. Let me say that again. It is a very serious sin. But even the shedding of blood of an innocent child in the womb is not the unforgivable sin. If you've never been told that, if you've never fully realized that, hopefully you'll come to that realization this morning and find the very place of healing, the very place of freedom that we sang about a moment ago. So here I am, some... Decades ago now, police officer in Las Vegas, I was a motorcycle cop. I'd been a cop for almost 20 years, actually just uh, three months shy. 
uh, being tenured, my last ten years there in Las Vegas. But it was a time, even though I'd been saved 47 years ago and had done some very exciting things in the kingdom of God, that I had come to a place of being spiritually dry as a bone. But the Spirit of God was speaking to me, and I began crying out for a deeper walk, a deeper understanding of who he was and what it was he wanted me to do, expected me to do. My wife and I had been married a few years at that time. She was also a police officer, a deputy sheriff, and though we were believers, our marriage was really not a good marriage, and most cops' marriages were probably like that. But I was yearning for something much deeper in my walk, and I prayed this prayer. Maybe some of you have prayed a prayer like this before, that life-changing prayer. Lord, I'll do anything you tell me to do if you'll just cause me to be who you made me to be. Dangerous prayer. See something you're nodding your head, you know what I'm talking about. He loves to answer that prayer. So, Lord, just speak to me. Well, something happened within a matter of days. I was actually watching a TV program where Pat Robertson was interviewing a man by the name of Randall Terry. And Randall Terry was making a plea saying, come to Atlanta, Georgia with hundreds from all over the nation. We're going to lay down our own life in front of the doors of these abortion clinics. And we're going to sit in front of the doors and block the doors Sit there praying, worshiping the Lord, and not allowing any access in so that the sidewalk counselors who then, as now, only have a few seconds to appeal to a, a woman going into an abortion clinic, maybe 15, 20 seconds to do so as she gets out of her car and walks into this killing center, will instead have much more time as the doors are being closed and she can't get in and the counselors then can reach out to her and many babies will be saved. And many brought to faith in Christ. Well, I watched that program and I said, well, that's very interesting, Lord, but surely you're not speaking to me. I mean, I could never do anything like that. Even though I knew that I would already planned to take my vacation during that same period of time. But I knew the Spirit of God was speaking to me. Okay, was that a sign? Well, I said, Lord, I... I don't remember or not, but I'm, I'm a police officer. <laughs> I can't go and participate in anything like that. But if you're really speaking to me, I just can't hear somebody being interviewed and have this change my life and maybe my career and who knows what else. So I'm going to ask you to speak to me specifically in your word. If you want me to go, you'll have to show me in your word. I'm not going to flip through the pages and play Bible roulette. You know that story, right? Poke at a verse and determine the will of God. I wasn't even going to turn to the pro-life verses that I knew were in the Scripture. I said, Father, I am studying today and have been for almost the last week the book of Jeremiah, which I have never read before. Today I'm in chapter 7. I don't know what's in there, Lord, but if there's anything there that you can speak to me, Speak to me, and I'll pursue this opportunity to join these Christians in Atlanta, Georgia, even though I didn't believe at all in civil disobedience, as pastors already alluded to. So I turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, and as I'm reading, get down about verse 8, and uh, 
Yeah, that's, you shall not steal, murder, commit adultery. Okay, good, that's great. Verse 12, nothing there. Verse 20, I'm feeling pretty good about this time. <laughs> and then I get down to verse 30, and this is what it says in Jeremiah, verse 30. For the sons of Judah have done that which is evil in my sight, declares Yahweh. They have set their detestable things in the house which is called by my name to defile it. They have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor has it ever come into my mind. In my life at that time, about 15 years as a Christian, I never received such a specific rhema word, an answer from the Father. And so I determined that, yes, I would go and do an investigation as a police officer to see why these Christians felt they were justified in committing an act of civil disobedience. But before I left, I, I wrote a, a memo to the sheriff in our jurisdiction in Las Vegas at that time. The sheriff was the chief officer. And I wrote him a memo, and I said, Sheriff, I want you to know I'm taking my vacation. I'm going to go to uh, Atlanta, Georgia to participate in these uh, protests that these people are doing. And I believe that if you knew that a murder, in fact, was taking place, and you knew about it ahead of time, you would dispatch me to go to that place to prevent the murder. And I feel that that's what God is saying to me and these other believers. But don't worry, Sheriff, because if these protests, they appropriately called them rescues, I didn't understand that at the time, were ever to come to Las Vegas, I would be able to perform my job as a police officer and arrest these demonstrators. So I sent the memo. I left the next day, went, to went to, uh, on my vacation to Atlanta, Georgia. What I learned when I was there is that this was not at all about civil disobedience. I heard messages, amazing men and women of God declaring that this was a righteous act of true repentance. In fact, bringing forth the fruit of repentance by laying down our own lives, sitting peacefully, blocking access to those killing centers, praying and worshiping the Lord, praying that the sidewalk counselors would reach those parents, plead for the life of that child and see babies saved. And when I, when I did hear that message, I understood, yes, there was a difference between civil disobedience, Pastor Dave, and biblical obedience. That word was as clear as a word as I had just read here. To me, I knew that that was, in fact, what they were doing. Now, I had always been pro-life. I thought. I mean, Nathan, when I was pursuing my administration of justice degree at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas... I had to take a speech class, and I was in there. I was the only guy in the class, and there were all these women in the class, and I even preached a message on abortion, and I passed out tracts written by a lady by the name of Melody Green. She was the wife of Keith Green. How many people know of Keith Green? Yes, a few of us 
with gray hair, even you, Pastor. Oh, well. But I really had never done anything other than pass out some Melody Green tracks telling people that abortion was wrong. Now I found myself there in Atlanta, Georgia, where I was joined by hundreds of others. As a matter of fact, that week, 764 Christians were taken to jail for sitting in front of the door of the abortion clinic, arrested for unlawful assembly, a misdemeanor. We spent uh, 11 days in jail. It was the most amazing, marvelous men's retreat I'd ever been a part of. We worshiped the Lord, we praised God, we witnessed to other inmates in the jail. We even baptized men in the shower. Don't, don't get me wrong, I believe in immersion, but there was water, you do what you can do, right? Amen. Well, I got out of jail, and now I'm back home in Las Vegas, and the, the internal affairs rulings were that if an officer has ever been arrested for any criminal offense, whether in their own jurisdiction or others, they had to explain themselves and explain in a memo what happened. And I did that, wrote a memo to the Internal Affairs, and gave it to my lieutenant, two-page memo. On the first page, it said, I went to Atlanta. We participated in this. This is why we did it. I'm now out on uh, my own recognizance. I have a court hearing sometime in the future. They'll uh, let me know. And that's what happened. And then page two of the memo uh, said, and Sheriff, regarding my previous memo, I would not be able to arrest Christians who literally doing my job, protecting, serving, by rescuing these children who were being sent away to the slaughter. I gave that memo to my lieutenant, Mike Zagorski, and Mike read it. He was a friend, and he said, you know, Chet, I just want to advise you both as your friend and your lieutenant that page one of your memo satisfies what internal affairs requires, but as of page two, there may be a time when this will be a fork in the road for you. I don't think that time is now. It may not be necessary to send up page two. You can if you want. I'll do whatever you want, but I would just recommend that page one is going to suffice. So I said, well, you're my lieutenant. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. From the period of being arrested in Atlanta, Georgia in October of 1988, it was uh, about four months until the rescues, and there's much more to the story. I don't have time to go into all of the details. I'll just summarize this way. I had become so convinced that abortion really was murder and that if people would come together sacrificially to intervene, the real word is to interpose, come between the wickedness and the consequences to the victim by standing in the gap, that lives would be saved. I'd done that investigation I had gone to do. I even spoke to women, women who'd had abortions, many of them. I have even had even there, while I was there, held an actual aborted dead baby in my hands. Saw the reality. Saw what it had done to men and women, what it had done to the church of Jesus Christ, what it had done to that child, and millions of children, untold Millions of children, and not just 61 million, may I say. It's not just those 61 million that we may have aborted just in this country. 
But it was the children and the children of the children of those children that would never see the light of day or the purpose of God fulfilled in their life. Not here, anyway. So I actually saw that the rescues could come to Las Vegas. I was even instrumental in bringing them there. Met with pastors. We raised up a body of believers. And in January of 1989, they were uh, prepared to risk arrest. Now, of course, everyone in the department practically knew that I had been in jail in Atlanta. And I was told that, you know, Chet, there's no reason to do anything so radical that's going to cost you your career. Now, listen. Many people said this to me. Many Christ-loving and serving people said these words to me. You are just three months from being vested for your retirement. Three months. You've got to be a good steward of what God has given you. Just wait. Do something later, but at least get to your tenure so you can secure your retirement before risking arrest and maybe losing your job. I said, well, that's really good advice. Until the Holy Spirit of God, appropriately called the Hound of Heaven in a poem of that name, had this conversation with me and said, Chad, imagine that you would have this conversation at some time in the future. Some girl would come up to you and say, Chad, on that day I had my baby killed. Maybe if you'd been there, I wouldn't have. Why weren't you there? And I would say, well, I, I had to get my retirement. And she would say, but I have a dead baby. Well, that settled that argument for me. And so, I got to work that morning, rode my police motorcycle to work, walked inside. The acting sergeant came up to me and said, Chet, we know how you feel about this. This demonstration started a little while ago down the road, and so we're going to sign you to a completely different part of town. Don't go anywhere near that abortion clinic. Hallelujah, I thought. This was the way God was just testing me, just seeing if I would go so far, just to see what my heart was willing to do, but then not really requiring it of me. After all, Lord, I said, you would never want me to disobey my superiors. In a nanosecond came this question. And Chet, who is your superior? Settle that argument in a heartbeat. So I rode my motorcycle against orders that day to that abortion clinic, parked the motorcycle there, got off my motorcycle, walked to the door. I took a small bullhorn from the man that was leading the rescue. Many people don't know this story. His name is Russ Danes. Russ was a bivocational Baptist pastor. I mean, he pastored a church, but his full-time occupation was in another jurisdiction in the city of North Las Vegas. He was the administrative police lieutenant who had retired the night before so that he could lead this rescue in front of this abortion clinic. He was one of many pastors that we'd spoken to. Ten pastors were among 92 people blocking access. I walked up to Russ. I took that bullhorn, and I had prepared a statement. I read the statement. I waxed eloquent for about two minutes, and my supervisors were not at all impressed. 
my sergeant and the lieutenant was with him, walked up to me and said, Chet, you're suspended. Leave this area immediately. I want you to get this. This is important. That was the defining moment. Because I've done everything at that point I thought I could do, said what I needed to say, had been obedient to all the things I'd seen and heard, all those tender words the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me, had nothing whatsoever to do with bravado, folks, nothing about courage. It was the Spirit of God would not let me off the hook because I'd prayed that prayer and I was willing to listen. That's really what he wants us to hear is his voice. My sergeant came up. You're suspended. I could have walked away. I could have left, gone back to the department. I probably would have suffered a fine a few days off without work, a nasty letter in my personnel folder, but I still have my job. But I looked at him, and I said, Steve, he was also a friend, Steve Tuggle, the on-scene sergeant. And I said, Steve, I know that you're not convinced that they're killing children behind me in this place, where these people are sitting and blocking access to this door as I was standing with them as a police officer. I said, I know you don't believe that that's happening, but because I am convinced that they are, I cannot walk away, not as a protester, not as any kind of a protester, certainly, and not even so much as a Christian, though you know I am one. I cannot walk away from what I know to be a murder in progress. So I was the first one arrested that day. Took me to jail, stripped me of my badge, my gun, of course, my uniform, put me in an orange jumpsuit with the other 40 men and the women that were with us in another part of the jail, and all 40 of us men went into this large tank about the size of maybe half this section over there, concrete walls around, and we decided not to post bail, but just to wait to see the judge. So it was many, many hours together. But these pastors are in there, and they are preaching some of the best messages they ever preached before, perhaps, in jail. I mean, Paul and Silas preaches really, really good when you're in jail, Pastor Dave. And we sang and worshiped. Now, I can't sing. I'm not bad in the shower. But when I'm singing with 40 men in a concrete steel room, we sounded like some heavenly choir. And what happened... While we were in jail, about every 30 minutes or so, they would bring in some inmate who had been arrested for petty larceny or domestic violence or drunk driving and throw them right in the middle of this church service. And one by one, these guys were getting saved, hearing messages, praying for them, casting demons out. I mean, it was an amazing church service. We'd been arrested for unlawful assembly. We were going to get out of jail soon, but while we were in jail, we were ministering. It was a glorious time. Pastor Dave, we called it the first unlawful assembly of God church. Two weeks later, I was fired. And more to the story, and I want to have time to share this part as we get to the end. After I was fired, um, my wife divorced me. It broke my heart. 
We'd appealed to the Civil Service Board to get my job back, and actually it took six months to go before the Civil Service Board. They did hear that, and they actually felt that termination was too severe a penalty for an officer acting according to his conscience, and so they gave me my job back. But the sheriff went to court the next day, got an injunction in district court, overturning that decision, and then it took about three months for that to be heard, and now it's nine months later, he won, I lost, and it would have been announced that I was no longer a police officer. So the media who'd been following this wanted me to answer a question or two, so we had a press conference on the public sidewalk out in front of that abortion clinic where myself and 92 others had been arrested that day. And they just asked one question. They just said, Chet, do you have any regrets? Are you still glad that you did what you did? This is how the Lord allowed me to answer that question. I turned to Brenda, who was standing next to me. She was 18, but nine months earlier, she'd been 17, a juvenile, seeking an abortion, one she didn't really want, but was being pressured into having by her mother and her boyfriend and could not get because the doors of this abortion clinic were blocked for hours. Enough time for one of the sidewalk counselors to come up to her speak to her, offer the help that she needed. And I turned to Brenda and I asked her for Joshua, her six-week-old baby boy. And I held him on my hands like this and he kicked his legs and waved his arms and drooled all over me. I said, if it had not been for these 92 rescuers, not protesters, obeying the call of God in their life, and yes, one Christian police officer, this baby, this one, right here would have been cut to pieces and ground up in that industrial garbage disposal inside this killing center. I'd gone 20 years as a police officer, could never look back on that time when either by myself or with others I'd done something to say. I mean, I never gave anybody CPR or rushed into a burning building in 20 years. And now, three months shy of 20 years, I was able to do that. It meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to Joshua, who's alive and has two sons today himself, and to Brenda, who was brought in by a couple in our church and one to faith in Christ. Glorious story, and one I've been privileged to share here today and in many venues all over the world. So, I find myself continuing in these rescues, and about... Two years later, I'm in jail in Fargo, North Dakota, and I haven't seen my wife that period of time. And I uh, reached out to our daughter, Jamie, while I'm incarcerated in Fargo, North Dakota, serving a six-month, three months of a six-month sentence. And I want to talk to your mom so bad. Well, she doesn't really want to talk. I said, no, why don't you call her and see if she'll just accept my collect call? And she did. And Jamie, I called her the next day, yeah, she wants to talk to you. She's hiding out with Aunt Sandy. And call her. And I did. Something had happened to my wife. The father had changed her heart completely. And she told me something that was very difficult for her to tell me. Something that she had never told me before. This horrible, horrible secret that had held her hostage that years before we'd ever met, she'd had three abortions. 
had killed three of her children. But over this process, as she has grown closer to the Lord, he touched and changed her heart and set her free from that sin and forgiven her. Or she thought she was forgiven before because she was a Christian. It was sin, but it was nobody's business. But the enemy held her hostage. And so from jail, I proposed to my wife. I didn't get down on one knee, I admit that, but I proposed to my wife over the telephone and she accepted. She agreed to come to Minneapolis to remarry me, but I'm in jail. So I wrote a letter to the judge, the judge who had actually sentenced me and sent me to jail. I wrote that letter, Judge Dawson, the Lord Jesus Christ has done a miracle on our marriage and my wife has agreed to remarry me. I'm asking you to let me out of jail just for three days to travel from Fargo to Minneapolis, to remarry my wife, have a one-night honeymoon, and then I'll come back to jail on the third day. Yeah, when I read the letter of the inmates, they laughed too. (laughs) But the judge agreed, miraculously. So someone drove me to Minneapolis from the jail in Fargo. My wife flew up where she's staying in South Carolina. We were married in Minneapolis, and the next day after our one-night honeymoon, she drove me back to jail. There's so much more to the story. Listen. When something so devastating holds us hostage, as it did to my wife, and we finally come to realize that we can be set free and brought to a place of healing, to a place of freedom, our lives are changed forever. We've been married for 38 years. She's still in love with me. God's still using us. Oh, my retirement. I didn't find out until a year after I'd been arrested that even police officers who'd been fired could purchase the time remaining. I had three months left in the retirement system, so for $2,900, I paid into the retirement system. And so now I'm both a fired and a retired police officer. (laughs) And for the last almost 30 years, I've been getting an early retirement check from the state of Nevada. I'm so glad, Pastor, that that I didn't know that because King David said it best. Listen. He said, I will never sacrifice anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. It'll cost us something. But what a privilege to be able to pay the price knowing he's got our entire life and everything that we need in the palm of our hand if we will only obey what he gives us the privilege to obey. So my first exhortation to you as I'm closing now is to find that place of healing and that place of freedom. And while you're in that place of healing and place of freedom, to be able to call upon him to show you what it is he'll have you do for his kingdom and for your own good. It's a great life. Let's serve the king. Let's live it to our fullest. Pray that prayer. Ask him. He'll answer, probably quickly. And then you'll have the privilege to say yes. I'm going to ask Pastor Dave to come up and pray for us in that way. And Thank you again for the privilege. We love you. It's an amazing time in our life to be able to share a message like this for so long. And I pray that someone's life has been touched for the glory of God today.
Amen. Do you just bow for a few moments? You haven't just heard a, you haven't just heard a wonderful testimony. You've heard truth, biblical truth. And just like every Sunday when we gather, when we hear the truth, we have to consider our response. I understand that for many who are post-abortive, especially women who themselves have gone through an abortion, it's a, it's a difficult thing and a scary thing to ask for help. You're worried you might be marginalized. You're worried you might be judged. Absolutely not the case here. We want to help you find that freedom that Chet was talking about. But I want to tell you, even if you don't feel confident approaching me, approaching one of our pastors, approaching our women's minister, Shelly Barnes, even if you don't feel confident doing that, on that sheet you were given today is a ministry called Deeper Still. And you can contact that ministry. They exist to help women move forward, receive forgiveness, and move forward in freedom. But for all of us here today, really the, the bottom line of what Chet said was we have to obey God. We have to obey the Word of God. For some of us here today, that's recognizing our need to get more involved in the pro-life movement. It's something every one of us can do. You, you may not be called by God to do what Chet did. There's much that can be done. And it's, it's not just about that one issue. It's in everything, in every aspect, in every arena, every area of life, being biblically obedient Christians. That's what's going to make a difference in our land. You know, we're all at different points, but the Holy Spirit of God who indwells every believer knows where we are in the journey. So I would ask you to just listen to him. In these moments, perhaps later today in a quiet and still time, just to listen to him. What what has he said to you this morning? How do you need to respond? Chet's testimony clearly illustrates that the Holy Spirit will speak to the believer and he will speak with great clarity. just up to us to obey to respond Father I thank you for the privilege being a part of the body of Christ called Geyer Springs First Baptist Church God I thank you for a church for leadership not, not just me but leadership in our church who understand the importance of your word 
and who speak truth from your word. God, I thank you for sending us Chet today to remind us of the importance of biblical obedience in life. Father, I pray that we as a body of Christ would faithfully hear and obey. Father, for the needs that are present in this room this morning, specifically those who feel unsure about reaching out and seeking help, God, I pray you'd give them the courage. I pray that their desire to be free would be so much stronger than their fear. And Father, for those in this place that you're calling to a more radical obedience, specifically in the area of life, I pray that you give them clarity in what you're calling them to do. Father, thank you for the word. How would we possibly know how to live apart from your word? Help us to continually build your word into our hearts and lives help us to obey your word and your spirit. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.